everybody. Welcome to the College Hoops Chat Show. I'm your host, Jim Maceno. We are your weekly college basketball podcast released every Monday night. You can find all of our episodes on our website, collegehoopschat.com. Plus, you can find College Hoops Chat on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So please follow us there. Thanks so much for tuning in. Okay, Let's start with the home court advantage, and that is the Iona Gales, who played two games in the first week of the season. They won one game, and they lost the other game. They lost on Monday night, the opener down in Charleston, 71-69, but they came home Friday night against Sacred Heart, really fun opening night at Heinz Arena, and won 88-81. Let's quickly talk about these two Iona games. The Charleston game was a great game. Charleston is a very good team. They went to the NCAA tournament. They were one of the best mid-majors in America. And they had three of their top scorers back from last year. This was a tough foe for the Iona Gales. But Iona rallied in the game after being a little behind at halftime, 46-39. Iona got the game close in the final minutes. And they had two shots in the final five seconds to win the game and missed both shots. But it was a close game. It was an exciting game. I was impressed with both the Gales and the Charleston Cougars. And I thought it was a good effort. First game for Tobin Anderson as the Iona coach. First game for 12 players. And importantly, the only player back from last year, a 7-foot center by the name of Osborne Shema, who we all love, was hurt with a knee injury and did not play. So he had a brand new coach, 12 new players against one of the best mid-majors in America, and Iona gave them a really good game. So I was optimistic, even though Iona lost the opener down in Charleston. And the star for Iona was Greg Gordon, who had 18 points, followed by Aiden Treitu with 17 points. So let's go to the Sacred Heart game, which is better news. Iona won with a crazy finish, 88-81. to so They rallied, pull out the win in the final three minutes of the game. Aiden Treitu led the Gales with 34 points. He was terrific. But I also got to point out Joel Brown, who did not have a good game for most of the game, but had a great game in the final three minutes and helped spark Iona's comeback. Let me note, both Tritu and Joel Brown are graduate players. They're going to be really relied on this year for Tobin Anderson as the older, experienced players on the team. So, a couple of thoughts on this win. Iona really stole the win because uh, Sacred Heart played a little better for most of the game, and they led 80-75 to with 3.36 to go. But after that, after this 3.36 mark, Iona, they outscored Sacred Heart 13-1 to in the final three and a half minutes. And that was the crazy finish that allowed Iona to win uh, the game. Greg Gordon, who was so good in the opener against Charleston, was in foul trouble all night, only played 13 minutes. That hurt the Gales. And Osborne Shema was out again. So, so, it was kind of difficult for the Gales against Sacred Heart. They didn't have their seven-foot center, Shema, and they didn't have Greg Gordon, who's probably their most exciting scorer. But let's not forget about the night of Aiden Tritu. Led Iona with 34 points. One interesting thing I noticed, Tobin Anderson is well-known for his press. When he was at FDU and St. Thomas Aquinas, he was a star coach at pressing for the entire game. Sacred Heart was ready for it. And Iona's press did not disrupt Sacred Heart, except for maybe the last couple of minutes. Something to watch for. Iona's got a lot of work to do on their press. They got to be better than that. Okay, so that is our report on the Iona Gales. 
Next for Iona is a very winnable game down in Florida for the Gulf Coast Showcase. It's down in the Fort Myers area. The Gales will play three games in this tournament. The game one on Monday, November 20th at 11 a.m. Check the start time, folks. 11 a.m. versus High Point. That is a game where Iona will be favored by about six points. So let's hope they get the win and kick off that tournament, the Gulf Coast Showcase, with a win. So go Gales. Let's talk about some of the games that showed me something in the first week of the season. We just had uh, the first week of the season. It was glorious. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I watched so many games. But let's talk about a couple of games in the first week that I thought really mattered. All right? Number one, Arizona played Duke on Friday night at Duke. Now, I believe that Duke might just be the best team in the nation. And I figured Duke would get a win at home against Arizona. But Arizona won 78-73. to Really, really impressive performance by Arizona Wildcats. Arizona was led by a balanced scoring attack, playing eight really good players. There was no weakness in their rotation. All eight players were really good. So let me tell you this right off the bat. Arizona's not going to lose a lot of games this year. Of course, everybody loses games in the regular season, but Arizona is excellent. They had a sophomore named Boswell who really stood out at guard. Uh, he was one of the new additions. He was on the team last year but didn't play as much. He's going to be one of the starters and look, and apparently he's a star. So watch Boswell, really good player at guard, very active, very athletic, great shooter. One of the things that jumped out in this Arizona-Duke game is that Arizona out-rebound Duke 45-33. Apparently rebounding may be an issue uh, for the Duke Blue Devils, but we'll see. But great game, great opening week game, and I'm glad these two power schools played each other. It made it fun for the sport of college basketball. Okay, on Tuesday night, USC played Kansas State in Las Vegas. Uh, that was a really good game, but USC won 82-69. to I was very impressed with USC on the opening night against Kansas State. Uh, they're a very talented team. I didn't realize the level of talent on USC's team. And I must note that they didn't even have two of their best players who right now are both dealing with heart-related injuries and did not play in the opener. Uh, Vince Iwu Chukwa and Bronny James. Those two players are really talented and they didn't even play in the game. And USC was still great. So um, I'm thinking uh, USC is a team that you might just see in the Elite Eight or Final Four. They're that good. And the other big game in the first week was Baylor versus Auburn. They played the game in South Dakota for some reason. Baylor won 88-82 to over Auburn. Both teams were good. It was a very close game. But there's a wow factor for Baylor. And that is freshman Jacoby Walter. He was terrific for the Baylor Bears. 28 points, 6 rebounds in his first college basketball game. He looks to be special. They also had a freshman named uh, Missy, M-I-S-S-I, who was huge down the stretch, scored 10 points, and was the difference in them actually winning the game. So two freshmen, Walter and Missy, are really strong players for Baylor. Somehow Baylor always seems to get really good freshman recruits. Let's turn to some other games that I noticed that were very impressive. We'll start on Sunday. University Alabama-Birmingham beat Maryland 66-63. to We talked about Maryland on a prior show. I was thinking this is going to be a good year for Maryland. They lost twice this weekend. They were in the Asheville Championship Tournament, and Maryland lost to Davidson, and they lost to UAB. That was surprising that, that Maryland would take two quick losses. So let's see uh, if Kevin Willie can get them to bounce back. All right, on Saturday, Cornell beat Fordham 78-73. to Point spread was only like one point favoring Cornell. I know Fordham fans are very upset with the loss at home, but, you know, I don't think that's a bad loss. Cornell's a really good team in the Ivy League. They predicted to be at the top of the Ivy League. 
Fordham just didn't have a good night. It was 78 to 73. Uh, I wouldn't get too upset if I was a Fordham fan. They'll bounce back. We on our show are fans of University of North Carolina at Wilmington. Uh, my family owns a house down in Wilmington, so we know the city very well, and we do root for the team. They had a huge win. UNC Asheville was favored. They were home, and UNCW beat them 83-66 to on Saturday. That's a great win for the Seahawks. University of North Carolina at Wilmington. Looks like they have another really good team. And then a game that popped out of me on Saturday made me feel a little bad because I've always... I kind of like to see this team do well in my life, and that is Notre Dame had a bad start. I mean, they lost to West Carolina at home, 71-61. to Everyone's saying it's going to be a rough season for Notre Dame. Well, there's some evidence for you. They already lost to Western Carolina. Okay, Friday night, there was a lot of really good games, a couple of games that jumped out at me. Tennessee beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin was at home, and Tennessee beat them by 10 so either Tennessee's really good or Wisconsin's not as good as we thought, or it's just an early game. We'll see what happens. But that's a really good win for Tennessee to go up to Wisconsin and get the win. BYU was home. They were visited by San Diego State, and they got a nice win, BYU, 74-65. to And let's remember, San Diego State was a Final Four team last year. That's a good win for BYU. Okay, there was a doubleheader in Charlotte, a neutral court for everyone. I thought the scores were interesting. University of Virginia, a team I thought would be good. I didn't know if they'd be very good or great. Opened really well. They beat Florida, who I think is very good, 73-70. to So UVA beats Florida. And then the other game I was thrilled with, because I'm a fan of South Carolina, because that's where my son graduated. Uh, South Carolina beat Virginia Tech. That's a really good early season win for the South Carolina Gamecocks. That was score was 79-77, so go Gamecocks. All right, one other game on Friday night that should make people be concerned. We know that Kenny Payne is having some problems as the coach down at Louisville. Well, they already lost a bad game. On Friday night, they lost to Chattanooga, number 205 on Ken Palm. They're not even the top half of the teams in America. And they beat Louisville 81-71. to That's a really bad performance for Louisville. Okay, let's go a day earlier, Thursday. I watched St. Mary's play New Mexico. I know both teams are, are very good. And St. Mary's looked better. They looked really good, and they beat them 72-58. to So I don't know if that's such a commentary on New Mexico, but I know it's a commentary on just how good St. Mary's is. Watch that team. They're going to win games in the NCAA tournament. All right, also uh, on Thursday, people called it the college basketball media, the best game of the week, James Madison University. Yes, the same team that beat Michigan State on the opening night had a crazy game against Kent State in overtime, 113 to 105. Crazy win. All of a sudden, James Madison University is one of the talked about college basketball teams in the country. All right, Wednesday, we saw an interesting game, which was FAU playing Loyola Chicago on a neutral court, although it wasn't Chicago, but a neutral court. I thought that Florida Atlantic, who I think is going to be a really great team again this year, beat Loyola Chicago 75-62. That was an impressive win for the Owls. Okay. Let's go now to opening day. A couple of games that stood out to me, all right? Oregon. Oregon beat Georgia. I watched the game. Oregon won 82-71 to on Las Vegas. I will tell you, Oregon has twin towers. They got some tall guys. They got a lot of talented guys. Oregon's going to be a very strong team in the Pac-12 in its last year. Another game was an upset that surprised me. Neutral court. Princeton beat Rutgers 68-61. Looks Looks like Princeton's really good, just like last year. As you remember, Princeton won some games in the NCAA tournament. And, of course, the game that everybody talked about after opening night, and that was James Madison University 
upsetting Michigan State in overtime, 79-76. Michigan State shot the ball horribly. I think it was more of Michigan State playing horribly and James Madison playing very good. I think Michigan State's still going to be a very good team, but let's watch. Let's see what's going on with the Spartans. That was a bad opening loss. All right, so that's all my thoughts on some games that mattered in the first week of the season. Let's now go talk to our first guest tonight, and that's Eric Haslam. He's an analytics guru, so he's going to give us a class on analytics and college basketball uh, on the show. His website is haslametrics.com. Let's chat with him. For our next guest is my friend Eric Haslam. He's a Twitter friend or an ex-friend now, and uh, we've been talking college basketball for a few years now, and I have a great respect for his analytical skills because he has his own website, which is haslametrics.com, H-A-S-L-A-M-E-T-R-I-C-S.com. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. I'm uh, I'm coming off of sickness, and my Packers just disappointed me today, so uh, I'm hoping uh, that I, I'm, I'm on the mend and, and feeling better, and hopefully this interview puts me in a better mood. I'm sure it will. Well, I'm a New York football fan, and that's not going so well either, so uh, I understand your pain. All right, so you are one of these top guys in the business in analytics and college basketball. You have a website. Uh, The one everybody knows is Kempom, but you do something like that. Um, Yours is excellent. I always tell people, best thing about your website is that you can actually get a game preview, not just a predicted score, but you actually give people data and names of players and things to look out for, which is really helpful to fans. So let's take a couple minutes here and go through what your website's all about, particularly now where you don't have a lot of data and how your website will be even better January, February. Let's talk about Haslametrics, Eric. How's that? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it, it goes back to looking at things from an efficiency standpoint. You know, a lot of people with the old mentality was wins are the only thing that really matter. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Ideally, you want to be able to rate teams based on their overall capability. And the example that I like to use with people is, say a team was the 11th best team in the country and their schedule had them go against the top 10 teams in the country. And they lost all 10 of those games by one in overtime. Because that team is... 0 and 10, does that make them the worst team in the country? No, it does not. They're very capable. They took the top 10 teams to the limit. They may have lost all those games, but that's the idea. I kind of tell people to think of it that way from an efficiency standpoint. Right. So a lot of people will criticize and go, how can you have Penn State who's 15 and 17 beating this team who's 23 and 5? And it's like, well, it's who they've played. It's how they've performed throughout the year. And that's what Haslametrics uh, tries to do. And it breaks things down based on shooting, um, shooting scenarios, shooting success. That's primarily the, the methodology that I went for. I looked for special situations like second chance points, quick points off of turnovers, things like that. And then you break things down. And we talked a little bit earlier about how, um, you know, we break things down at the offensive end and the defense, the defensive end. You can go to my site and you can click on offensive and defensive um, efficiency numbers. And then you get some of the intangibles. I'm, I'm not talking things like pace or strength of schedule, but momentum and consistency. And they're away from home rating. These are different things that right now are kind of showing gray on my site because it's too early in the year to really kind of gauge those. But later on in the year, as we start to gather more and more data, you'll be able to get an idea of those teams that are hot or cold, those teams that are all all over the map or very consistent. And then some of those teams that really do well at home and not so great away from home. So 
couple of years ago when I was trying to learn about analytics myself when I started the show, uh, there was somebody that tried to analyze all of the main ones, Ken Palm, Haslametrics, and the others. And one thing they said about you that stood out was that you factored in momentum and how hot a team is better than all the others. Is that a fair statement? I think that's probably a fair statement. I know that uh, I I believe some of the other analytics sites have said along the lines, like they try to gauge how a team is going to be maybe like two weeks out or four weeks out or something like that. I'm much more interested in who they are today. Um, I mean, and this is why a lot of people within the gambling realm probably rely on me a little bit more because I'm looking at a team that's, you know, how are they performing right now? So I do give a higher weighting to, to recent results. I think that's very important to do. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's all whatever your flavor of the day is. A lot of people would say, hey, I want to rank these teams based on overall, you know, taking the entire season and, and counting a win in November equally as what you would in February. I look and go, ah, for me personally, I want to know who a team is now, not who a team was two or three months ago. All right. First question. To a regular fan, that doesn't fully understand analytics. A fan that loves college basketball, tell them how a website like Haslametrics can help them understand not only the sport of college basketball, but the games that their favorite teams will be playing. Well, I think when you can go to my site, a lot of things you can see on my site, if if you just click on any of the team names, it's going to give you an automated rundown of who all these teams are. And a lot of the numbers, they may be intimidating and go, that's a lot of numbers. I don't really want, I, I, I don't really understand all that. So one of the things that you do on my automated team capsules is there's an analysis area where you can actually get a, uh, just a, a written out explanation of what to expect when you watch a team. So when you're trying to watch Gonzaga, it's going to look at all Gonzaga's numbers behind the scenes. It's going to say, hey, based on those numbers, I'm going to say that Gonzaga showcases one of the off- the country's most efficient offenses. They're one of the most lethal teams when it comes to shooting the basketball, running in the top 25 in each of the four major field goal categories. And it talks about their 18th and three-pointers, their, their 12th and from the mid-range, 14th from near proximity. And you get kind of an idea of who that team is. That's kind of the idea that goes along with rankings that you see on my site. I want to be able to give the fans a summary of any of the teams that they're going to play. So, I mean, right now, especially, you know, early on in the season, a lot of these big teams, like I'm a Wisconsin fan, Wisconsin's going to play some of these smaller schools that I'm not very familiar with. So what I can do is I can look at a history at kind of the fingerprint of who these teams are and get a written analysis and kind of give an understanding of, okay, this has been this team's strengths in the past. This is kind of what I'm going to expect when I watch them play tonight. Right, Eric. So on Thursday, I went to Eric's site, Haslametrics.com, to look at Sacred Heart because Iona was playing them uh, Friday night. And it's look, it's a little difficult for your your website and all the analytics right now because you don't have a lot of data yet and you're going to get a lot more data the next two months and by January, February, I guess it's fair to say all of the analytics sites might be a little more accurate. So I checked out Sacred Heart and it was helpful to me. Yeah, and that's the thing. What what you touched on is absolutely correct is that you're relying on a lot of different independent variables um, in the preseason and and you're kind of gauging and making a a glorified estimate of what each team is going to be before the season because nobody knows how they're going to mesh. We saw that last year. Great example. Everyone in the world was sure that North Carolina last season was going to be the greatest team in the, since sliced bread. Number one in the me. country. Number one in the country. And what did they do? They didn't even make the NCAA tournament. And that's right. the funny thing about it. I mean, we can, it's, it's an educated guess, but I always tell people 
You know, you got to put your eyes on the product. Don't go all in on the analytics. I don't think anybody really wants to do that. I think that's a bad idea. I think you really have to understand that the analytics are like evidence at a crime scene. You're going to put your eyes on it. It's going to give you some evidence, but it's not an open and shut case. It's only right. a piece of the puzzle. Right. That That's really great. All right. That's a perfect ex- explanation, as a matter of fact. All right. So let's go to the website. I'm on it right now, haslametrics.com. So the first, at the very top of the first page, it says offense, and there's all the offense analytics. Then mm-hmm. if you pick the drop down, you can go to defense, which gives mm-hmm. you all the defense analytics. And then you have two others. Maybe you can explain that. Next one is fingerprint. Yeah, fingerprint contains a lot of the intangibles uh, that I talked about before. And, and you know, like, for example, there's some things like pace. Uh, pace doesn't really fit on under offense or defense individually. So I just kind of put that here. Um, strength of schedule is out there. Record quality is out there. So if you're looking at kind of an overall gates, it's not quite the net, but it's a way to gauge a team's record quality. Basically, if you're 26 and 0 and you haven't played anybody, your record quality might not be as great as a team who's say 25 and three, who's who's beaten you know a handful of top 10 opponents. Momentum and consistency right now, nothing really going on there, but you will see that more and more as we enter December and January. Momentum looks at the last six to eight games and says, hey, how how am I playing in the last six or eight games versus the rest of the season? Consistency is another metric that just says, am I all over the map or is this team play pretty consistent throughout the year? Another gauge. AFH is another thing. You know, when I do my projections, I use a blanket algorithm as far as, or a blanket adjustment rather, as far as home versus away. There's just a blanket adjustment. It doesn't matter if you're Dartmouth or Duke. The the adjustment's going to be the same. That AFH comes into play that kind of looks at things on a team-by-team basis and identifies those teams that are better on the road or away from home, rather, versus at home. And, and so that's what the AFH does. And then, of course, there's the ASR, which is the average season ranking. It just looks at all the game, all the, the days throughout the season, looks at all the rankings of that team, and then just averages them out. So you can kind of see overall how a team has been throughout the season versus where they are right now. And then the last one on the drop down, I love records because you give the record mm-hmm. first 1 to 50 in the rankings, 51 to 100, 101 to 150. You could see how they played based on who they were playing. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then there's also the HQ1, HQ2, HQ3. So that's the Haslametrics Quad 1, Haslametrics Quad 2. I right. actually do I do have my own version of the net behind the scenes, which closely mirrors the net that is used by the NCAA. Because right. the NCAA does not reveal the formula to the net, I cannot use it. And I'm furthermore, I know, I'm pretty sure, the NCAA has tweaked that number many, many times since its uh, introduction a few years ago. But what I do behind the scenes, I have my own Haslametrics net, which lands different teams in different quadrants. So I can give you an indication of based how I see things, breaking things down into quadrants, how many wins you have in each quadrant using my own HNet. Gotcha. All right, let's come down. So next you have, let's do a brief ex- explanation, Haslametrics All Play Estimates. What is that section? Yeah, the All Play Estimates are going to allow you to do it for any possible matchup you can get in Division One. you set it up. So right now, if you select a team, it's going to default to who's number one. For me right now, that's Kansas. And it's going to, you can select a court. You can either be the neutral court, home court, or away court. That's for the team that's on the drop down. So if I say, I want to look at all the potential opponents for Kansas on Kansas's home court, I'm going to select Kansas. I'm going to select home at the top. And then you can look at the results of any projection of any game by just looking at the results below it. So I can look below and go, Kansas would beat Iona 86 to 63. They beat Iowa 
85 to 73. They beat Iowa State 76 to 65. You can go down the list and you can simulate the result of any game just by populating the, those two drop downs at the top. Okay, come down. We're going down now. Um, how's the metrics bracketology deserves? This obviously <clears throat> is um, what the bracketology should be as of that day. Correct. And that's just using, again, an algorithm that kind of relies on my HNET, uh, the Haslametrics net, and a lot of other factors that the selection committee is going to deem important, such as quad one wins, top, you know, top 15, top 10 wins, things like that, bad losses, all that comes into play. Very tough to do, very tough to match what the committee does because you're using my own set of numbers. Um, so some of the numbers are going to match very pretty closely. And then other times you're going to see a team that might land on the seven line might just barely squeak in on the, on the deserves. It's just a me, my, my evaluation saying I, that team might be a little bit overrated. I, I do my very best in algorithmic format to kind of guess what the committee is going to do, but that's a very difficult task. Okay. Let's come down to the last section. This <laughs> week's expected outcomes. This is what I use your site the most for. Whenever I'm going to watch a game on TV, I go to that game. Okay, folks, again, it's, it's listed as this week's expected outcomes. You can put up a date, and when you go to that date, you can see all the matchups on that day, and there's a letter P in red. Click P, and Eric gives you an analysis of the upcoming game, which I find so useful. Yeah, very similar to uh, the automated team capsules. That's the automated game preview. It breaks down everything, kind of gives you the arrow, the little green arrows that point one way or another, kind of gives you an idea of where the team has, a, one team has an advantage over another. And again, if you want just kind of the written out description of what's going to happen, the translation, so to speak, for the layperson, you can kind of go and break things down based on shot selection, shooting, shooting percentage, rebounding, turnovers, and free throws. It breaks things down on a team-by-team basis. It breaks down things like the X factors, like pace I talked about later on. They'll talk about consistency. They'll talk about momentum. And then at the very end, it has a verdict of what it thinks is going to happen in the game. I love that section. Keep, please keep doing that. I use it all the time when I watch a game, Eric. It, it's, um, not going, it's not going anywhere. Great. All right, Eric, so just as a casual question, how much work a week do you put into this? You know, it, it's it's not too much work anymore. I think once you've kind of built the, the castle, it's kind of maintaining it. So a lot of the stuff is already built. It's a matter of me running a few scripts on a daily basis and then uploading my files, and it's kind of all there. It's I mean, if everything works... Um, smoothly, it's it's a few clicks of the mouse and I'm done for the day. Most of the work that I do is probably trying to drive engagement, which is the fun part for me. I, I hate to say drive engagement because it sounds like a like a business, but for me, it's a lot of fun. I I just love. Sure. I, I I like to keep things light. I like to I like to hang around casual fans who like to have a good time with it. That's that's the fun part for me, and I and I think the site kind of enables me to do so. Sure. Absolutely. So let me ask you this question. Are all of you, I mentioned Kempom because that's the one a lot of people know, Haslam Metrics, but there's three or four other big time analytics sites. Do you guys all know each other? Do you all chat with each other about this? Yeah, not so much. I mean, I, I know a few of these guys, I but you know, I, I, I probably, the one I've probably talked to Bard a little bit, Evan a little bit, never really spoken more than five words to Ken. I think we're all just kind of doing our own thing a lot of the time. And I look right. at this and go, I'm I, that's what I like to do. I've always kind of said, I want to be the drudge report of college basketball. Um, you know, and I, I don't mean that from a, from a right wing or left wing side of things. I just mean, when you go to drudge report, you go there and it has this kind of old school feel to it, but you go there and you get everything you need right there in front of you. It's pretty quick to get. Right. And you can rely on the same format every, every time you go there. I kind of want to just go there and say, I don't want to play by anybody's rules. I want to do it my way. 
I want to have a little fun with it. And that's kind of the way I, I, I always think of myself. So Bart Torvik, you mentioned Bart, that's <clears throat> Bart Torvik. He has one of these mm-hmm. sites like you. And you mentioned Evan, is it Evan Mia? Mm-hmm. Yep. Those are the other yep. two guys. All yep. right, yep. listen, keep up the great work. Provide a great tool to college basketball fans. I wanted you to come on and kind of explain it, your website today, so people can get on your website and use it and better enjoy college basketball. Uh, and it's free. It is. Your website's I like free. To, I like to keep it that way. You know, I actually be adding some ads here soon, and then hopefully they will not be too intrusive. I have some some a, a shop that I just opened up there where I can get some hats and T-shirts, things like that for the people who are fans of this stuff. But for the most part, I want to keep this website free. I always say the best party is a free party. I think it's, it's just something I enjoy doing, and I'd rather keep it free for people because it keeps it drives that engagement that I talked about. I have no intention to change that. Okay, folks, Eric Haslam from Haslam Metrics. He does a great job on the internet, a free site so you can go there and study college basketball and better understand the games and even get a preview for upcoming games. Eric, keep up the great work. We'll have you on the show again later in the season. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Okay, folks, we are very excited about our next guest because he's sitting in the middle of the hottest story in American college basketball, and that with James Madison University Dukes. We have assistant coach Xavier Joyner. Welcome to the College Troops Chat Show. Thanks, Jim, for having me on. So what's going on? Are you all floating on air? Everybody's floating on air over at James Madison. You've got the biggest upset in the nation so far, and then you played and won in overtime the biggest game of the year. I mean, what's going on with those two? You know, Jim, we actually haven't had a a time to kind of decompress yet because we've been so busy. Uh, Those overtime games last a long time. (laughs) So they do. Game last night. So we've we've been, you know, just still just grinding, grinding along. And, uh, you know, it's it's been great. It's been great for the first three games. As as I told, uh, after the Michigan State game, I probably had 400, 400, 500 text messages. And so just trying to get back to everybody and and, and also stay stay true to what we're doing here and and preparing for the next opponents. You know, we really haven't had a a lot of time to really you know take it all in yet but you know we're, at, at this point as i told you earlier i don't really want to take it all in at this point but we still have a lot more to do and so it's absolutely here, but it, it is exciting uh obviously for, for duke fans and now so you're a coach i'm just a fan that has a podcast but i have to tell you i watched north carolina play radford your next game yes they are very good yes they're really good and they, they just beat a tough marshall team recently and who's, who's in our league and it was top top four team in our league last year so we know radford is they're serious and so those guards can shoot that's what i noticed those guards can shoot yes indeed i mean those guards can can really really giles is really good i mean so we we got our work cut out <laughs> so you're three and oh let's t- for the fans listening you beat michigan state on the opening night of the college basketball season 79 to 76 yes you beat kent state in what they're saying is the best game of the season in double overtime 113 to 108 i guess i should have mentioned michigan state was also an overtime win and then another pretty good team howard on sunday Sunday night, uh, 107 to 86, a little more comfortable win, but three tough games. You're three and zero. It's really exciting for the James Madison Dukes. It is exciting, Jim. Uh, and you know, looking in, looking at the season, you know, before it started, we knew this was going to be a tough stretch. Obviously, with three teams that uh, that all went to the NCAA tournament last year, right. and so we knew, you know, we had to prepare hard, and our guys had to be focused. Coaching staff had to be focused, and to come away three and zero, you know, after that, playing three three NCAA teams, you know, it's, it's pretty good to start. So we are proud of the 
start, but we know there's a lot more work to do. So going into the Michigan State game, you and the coaching staff and head coach Byington, did you think you had a chance to win? Well, we we, we talked about, Coach Byington did a good job of talking about last year, how we, fortunately, we have some older guys who, who've experienced playing against, you know, high major opponents. Last year, we played against North Carolina at Carolina, and we didn't think we gave our best. And our guys, you know, that returned knew, like, we, you know, we, we kind of got stereotyped. We went in and they were looking at the, the light blue and <laughs> they were looking at the Jordan posters and like, wow. And we kind of gave the game away, you know, just by being like, wow, by, by the atmosphere. And then we followed that uh, last year going to University of Virginia. That's, you know, in last year's schedule and played them really well to a five point game. It's a one possession game with, you know, with less than a minute left last year. And so our guys who returned knew, you know, we got an opportunity and a chance to, to compete with high major teams and they, you know, they prepared well and we came away with, with a win. So some of the coverage I saw of the Michigan State upset win in overtime was, well, Michigan State had an off night shooting threes. They were, uh, I think they were one for 20 from three, yeah, Michigan State. So, but I like to say on that situation, maybe that had something to do with James Madison playing terrific defense. Well, we, we did a good job of, you know, trailing their guys and contesting shots. And so that was, you know, it's, it, it is hard to make contested shots. And we did a good job of contesting shots. Uh, but, you know, a little bit of luck in there too. We, we'll, we'll take that. Sure. The other thing I thought when I looked at the stats, I watched the four, uh, the end of the game. Everybody watched that overtime because they were playing it all over on social media. So I saw the end of the overtime. But throughout the entire game, you out-rebounded Michigan State 51-48. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty good. And we, we had, we, you know, we have a focus on, you know, our offense and, and defensive rebounding. And so our, our guys did a great job of executing that. You know, we wanted to try to get some second-chance points, and we wanted to be relentless on the glass. And uh, I know, you know, looking at the replay of the game, uh, you know, Noah Fredell, our guards, you know, do a great job of getting in there, which is a little bit different than what most teams are used to. You're used to bigs, you know, doing a lot of rebounding, but our guards get in there and get dirty too. So they did a great job that game of getting there and getting getting dirty. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the guys that you brought in as a transfer, Michael Green, um, he's a local kid from my area. He played in high school at Mount St. Michael. Yes. And the coach there is Tommy Freyer, who's a regular guest on our show. Oh, really? And it's one yeah. of his favorite players ever, Michael Green. Yes, yes. So Michael Green, man, he's, he's a veteran guard. Uh, I actually had the experience of coaching against Michael Green when I was at Mount St. Mary's. He was a freshman. Right. And he did he did a great job against us, you know, when he was a freshman. I remembered him. And it's a funny story. I actually, actually played with his cousin in college, a good friend of mine and a backcourt mate with me in college. Oh, that's great. And so he was a really good, his cousin was a really good point guard also. But yeah, Michael Green, I, you know, I've been watching him and obviously coaching against him when I was at Mount St. Mary's and then watching him from, from afar at Robert Morris. He's evolved into a really good point guard. Um, when he was at Bryant, he was more of a score first guy. And then when he went to Robert Morris, he focused more in on uh, being a facilitator. And so he's the he's the like perfect mix of, of those two. Now, you know, he's, he's sure. facilitating and he's also able to score. And also Michael Green had 13 points against Michigan State and hit one of the key shots in overtime. Yeah, he came up he came up clutch in that game. Uh, he hit some tough shots. Uh, actually, some backbreakers defensively. That one shot he hit at the end of shot, it was in the shot clock. I think we were down maybe four. Right. It, it really, you know, it helped us. It kept us going. You know, when obviously they, they get that stop, it could be a different result. But he, made, the, he made a big shot. Sure. And two of the stars in that game are two of the stars of your team, right? Terrence Edwards, back from last year, 13.3 points a game last year. He yeah. played terrific against Michigan State. And then one of your transfers from Boston College, TJ Bickerstaff, two big-time players so far. Yeah, they've, they've started out really well. Obviously, you know, with, with Terrence, 
you know, being sixth man of the year last year, we saw him come in the game and give us a spark, like unlike any other player in the country, really, because he, he was highly efficient, great percentages. He, he's a spark, and you know, and now him being in a new role, it was good to see him get off, you know, and, and, and be able to be a playmaker as well as a scorer. He did a great job of mixing that in. And then getting TJ Bickerstaff over here, the way he rebounds, the way he can score, how tough he is, he gives us a huge presence inside. Right. So, and the following game, Edwards was a star again. Scored 25 points in this double overtime thriller with Kent State Golden Flashes. Uh, but a lot of guys hit double digit in a game. Green had 13. Friedel had 15. Horton had 12. Brown had 16. Um, the scoring got kind of spread out in that game. Yeah, the guys, guys stepped up and they, they were looking for each other. Um, we passed the ball extremely well in that game. Uh, you know, we were proud of the guys. We, we wanted to limit, obviously, um, Kent State does a good job enforcing turnovers. They were 20th in the country last year enforcing turnovers. And so our goal going into the game was having 12 or less turnovers. And also sharing the ball. So we had 24 assists and 12 turnovers. Wow, that's awesome. Pretty good. Two to one, really good ratio. So my question is, coaches always say, when the kids play really well, when we have a great game, sometimes it's a little hard to get them up for the next game. Or they maybe get a little overconfident the next game. You beat Michigan State on a Monday night, then had to go play a very good Kent State team only a few days later on Thursday, but you were able to get those guys ready to play. How'd you do that? Well, I think I think it's just, fortunately for us, we do have some older guys who, who have played in college basketball. We have some guys who have played for us as a staff and know we've been on this journey before, you know, where you get excited about a win. Like we, we beat university of Virginia a couple years ago and, you know, we got so excited and then and, and had some letdowns. So our guys that return it, they don't want those letdowns again. So they're locked in Terrence Edwards being one who, who's been here now in his fourth year. He knows uh, he's, he's a great leader of ours, keeping guys focused. So it's, it's good to have a player led organization also. And frankly, it doesn't get that much easier for you. You have Radford coming up pretty good team. Southern Illinois is a pretty good team. Old Dominion's yep. a good team. You guys have a lot of work to do coming up, so you can't rest on your 3-0 super start. No way. And Coach Byington said it said it the other day to the team is that you know we were very close to being 0-2 after those first two games. I mean, you can look at our guys know it, it could have went either way. And so to be 3-0, we're thankful, but yet we're still got our heads to the grind. <laughs> so you've been, what, four years now with Coach Byington? Yes. Tell us about Coach Byington. Oh, he, he, he's great. I mean, he, he does a great job of, of giving his guys freedom on the court offensively. He wants the guys to play extremely hard defensively. You know, he allows guys to, uh, you know, be themselves and, and, and create. He doesn't bog those guys down mentally. I would say, you know, offensively, he's a great coach, and he, he does a great job of uh, making sure their mental space is good. That's awesome. Well, listen, let me say this to the James Madison Dukes. Good luck. Keep it up. It's, very, it's so fun to see a team like James Madison, a great university, beautiful campus. Uh, I know a lot of kids from my area, New York area, that go to James Madison. Everybody goes to that school, loves that school. Yeah, yeah, it's a great place. Uh, man, when, when Coach Byington hired me here, I was like, wow, like, I'd always heard of JMU, uh, being from the DMV area. I've o- I'd only been here maybe one time, and then, uh, you know, obviously when I got the job, just being in the Harrisonburg area, it's it's an awesome area. It's a beautiful campus. It is truly a hidden gem. Sure is. Alright, Coach, have a great rest of your season. Congratulations. I'm sure you're going to uh, leave this interview you and go back to work studying Radford for Friday night and good luck in that game and good luck for a great season. Thanks, Jim. I'm, I'm back to Radford right now since I hang up. <laughs> Thank you so much to Coach Xavier Joyner. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you. Okay, folks, we're going to keep talking about the James Madison Dukes. One of the hottest stories in the college basketball world. They beat Michigan State in overtime. 
Kent State in double overtime, beat Howard on Sunday. Uh, so I thought I would talk to a blogger who covers James Madison. And we have Bennett Collin. Bennett, not only did you win all these basketball games, but your alma mater, James Madison University, is in the top 25 this week. Has that campus all pumped up? Yeah, it's probably the most excitement there's been for the basketball team in probably two decades. It's been a long time since there's been this level of excitement and sort of some fans, some alumni talk about what it was like back in the, the 80s when the team was really flourishing and the home crowds were impressive. But those teams never got into the AP Top 25. It's the first team in program history to ever get into the Top 25. The excitement is very tangible. Everyone's probably probably more excited than it, they expected to be at this point in the season for this team. And, and there was excitement going into the year, right? Predicted to win the Sun Belt, but I don't think anyone expected them to beat Michigan State and then to follow that up with a nice road win against Kent State, one of the better mid-majors in the country. Uh, they've proved themselves to be for real, and I think Jamie fans are excited about the possibility. So you make a good point. People are actually like James Madison came out of nowhere. They were 22 and 11 last year, fourth place in the Sun Belt. They had a lot of players back. They got some really good transfers come in. They have an excellent coach in Mark Byington. So you could certainly look at that team come into the season and say, this is going to be a really good team. You just mentioned they were, people were picking them to win the Sun Belt. So it's not like they came out of nowhere, but they did beat Michigan State, who was like a top four team. So what was it like watching that game? Yeah, it was it was kind of unbelievable. I think surreal for for JMU fans, where they jumped out to a lead early, which maybe wasn't the most surprising thing in the world, right? Opening night, some weird stuff happens. But then you get into the second half, and Michigan State, especially late in the second half, started to build a little bit of a lead. Four points, six points, right? When you've got only a few minutes left, you sort of assume as a JMU fan that, all right, like that's a good opening night performance but going to end up being a loss. And then they made some clutch shots down the stretch to come back, got it to overtime and found a way to win despite some pretty significant foul trouble to multiple starters, which has sort of been a theme here in the, the first few games. The Dukes are 3-0 in the top 25 and they're they're hacking at a pretty impressive clip too. They're, they're getting their fouls in. Uh, but a, a huge win for the Dukes and one that I think was pretty surprising, but maybe showed a little bit that uh, the veteran transfers they added are ready for this stage and ready to compete against pretty solid teams. They didn't seem afraid of Michigan State by any means. No, I agree. And um, they played really good defense. That was my take on the parts of the game that I was able to see. It was a busy day. It was the first day of the season with so many games going on at once. But I did catch the overtime, some of the end of the second half, and I thought their perimeter defense was terrific. Yeah, I think that's sort of where fans expect them to be great this year. And last year, uh, they went through some offensive lulls. But the defense, you look at the the Kenpom numbers, they were top 100 in defensive efficiency. It's sort of an expectation again this year that they can be really good defensively. And if the offense can play like it has in the first three games, I think the Dukes are pretty excited about their potential because the last few Byington teams have really thrived defensively. uh, And that sort of seems like where the Dukes are are headed this year. If they can be solid consistently on defense, they have a pretty good chance to compete in the Sun Belt. By the way, Bennett, tell everybody about your website that you do for following JMU. Yeah, I've got jmusportsnews.com. I run that with a friend of mine. So I've got a weekly podcast, newsletter, a bunch of articles up there. Uh, in the middle of football seasons, so we're talking a lot about the the Dukes, uh, 10-0 Dukes on the gridiron. They are also in the AP Top 25 at number 18 this week. So a lot of talk about that. And uh, we're, we're ratcheting up the basketball coverage here, maybe earlier than we expected with the Michigan State and Kent State wins. Have us. Uh... <laughs> and how cool is that? That James Madison is in the Top 25 in both football and basketball. It's totally awesome. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I think the the other five schools that check that box are sort of all blue bloods or at least close to that blue blood conversation in one of the two sports. So pretty impressive, stunning, I think, on the basketball side. I don't think a lot of people had the football team at 10-0 and necessarily, but no surprise that they're 
playing well off a good season last year, but the basketball team beat Michigan State has sort of sent some fans through a loop and, and have has everyone going crazy here ahead of college game day coming to campus for football. So it's a little bit of a fever dream, I feel like, for Jamie fans at this point. Sure is. So this Saturday game day, college football game day, is at James Madison. Boy, you are just riding the wave right now with James Madison, that's for sure. So let's talk a little about Kent State. That was a great game, 113-108. People in the college basketball media say it's the most exciting game of the year. Went to double overtime. Kent State's good. I mean, they're predicted to be second in the MAC, which is a conference that's had teams win a couple of rounds at NCAA tournaments. So that's not a low major conference. It's right in the middle, and it's a good one. Yeah, the MAC has really good teams. Kent State's a tough team. I think they'd won 23 in a row at home before that. And then right after, I think they beat a good Fresno State team at home by 10. Uh, so Kent State's legit, really solid team. And it's one that Kent State kind of had the game in the bag. I think that's part of the reason why Jamie fans are so excited about that win. Uh, 89 to 84, Jamie trailed with 3.8 seconds left. They were inbounding from underneath uh, Kent State's basket. So they did sort of a baseball pass all the way down the court, got into a three-point shot, made it. So they cut the deficit to two with 1.2 seconds left. They were able to draw an offensive foul, get the ball back for that uh, sideline out of bounds play and and then set up a layup to send it to overtime. And then I think they jumped out to, it was like a six point lead, maybe more in the first overtime and actually gave that away. Kent State had a great comeback of its own to send it to double overtime. So one of the most exciting games you'll see in the early season, two really good mid-majors and Kent State took the loss, but if Kent State can, can make the NCAA tournament in March, I know there are a lot of JMU fans who will be uh, moving the golden flashes ahead in their bracket for sure. Absolutely. That's true. And then on Sunday night, you had Howard. You got a solid win there. And then this Friday is a tough game. Radford is a very good team. We'll see what happens there. That'll be a tough one for you. Yeah, Radford's good. They gave North Carolina a pretty good uh, battle in the first game of the season. I think they've got VCU coming up in a couple days, which will be an interesting test for them as well. But Radford's good. They've had some some good clashes here with JMU the last few seasons. I know fans are excited for that one at home. It's a good test and uh, one that I think the Dukes need because their non-conference schedule outside of that start against Michigan State and Kent State is a little bit softer, I think, than some fans would like. So Anytime they can get a test before conference play, it's going to be beneficial for a team that could probably uh, use a few more of them. Well, that's a good point. You know, Radford is home, so that'll that'll be great for the students to be able to go see that game and cheer real loud. But the first two games, these you know, the great upset and then the great game, we're both on the road. So you're, you're road warriors too this year. Great start to the season. Yeah, two road wins against really good teams. It's a, a resume builder, I think a confidence builder too, to get both those. You can sort of tell your young guys that it's, you know, they're not, not going to play in tougher environments than at Michigan State and at Kent State the rest of the season. I think there's a lot of confidence that can be taken from that and winning on the road in general. And it helps a lot to, to get those for even things like home attendance, I think, which is uh, something sort of in recent years they've built up a little bit, but they've struggled to get that same home atmosphere, JMU. Uh, that they had in the 80s and, and early 90s. They had sort of a, a cuff, couple of tough decades uh, after those years, and uh, fans are sort of getting on the bandwagon again. So to get a, a win over Michigan State makes it a lot easier to, to put people in the seats when Radford or, or any other team comes to town. Bennett, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for telling us about your James Madison Dukes. Everything's really exciting on that campus. Have fun at game day if you're going, and enjoy the basketball game against Radford. And I hope the Dukes keep winning in both sports. <laughs> yeah, me too. Can't wait. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much. Okay, folks, we're in our final segment of the show, which, of course, is the Kenny from Rye segment. That's Ken Nixon, my friend since third grade. And Ken, before we start with you, I have to clarify the record. In my opening, 
I mentioned how impressive St. Mary's was in beating New Mexico and how they're a team that's going to win some games in the NCAA tournament. I've now found out in the course of the show that St. Mary's lost on Sunday night to Weber State 61-57 in a game they were favored by 13. So maybe I need to calm down a little bit about my adoration for St. Mary's Gales. Did take a bad loss early. Ah, look, it happens. It's the first week of the season. Weber State is not a bad team. They were 138 on Ken Palm. Means they're a middle team in America. So things happen. Okay, Providence. Can I just make a point to the great Providence Friars? Now, I I root for them because of you. I like the Providence Friars. But can you play some games in your first two games? Are you kidding me? Open up a Columbia and Milwaukee? That's the best you could do, Kenny from Rye, with your Providence Friars? Well, they moved right to Wisconsin, and then beyond that, they're in a tournament. So let's let's give them a couple of warm-up games with, uh, you know, a new coach, a new system in particular. Okay. So, All right. We'll give we'll, you Friars a break. And you do have Wisconsin uh, Tuesday, November 14th. So that's a tough game. And then this Friday night, you have Kansas State. So, okay. You've got some tough games coming up. No doubt about it. And I, I think it's going to be very interesting watching them, in particular against Wisconsin, because this is a new offense. And I've spoken to a few people up there, and it's a lot of people adjusting to new roles, in particular shooting from the outside on a very consistent and fast basis. So this is a modern-day offense versus what they kind of run in the past. So it'll be very interesting to see how this team does. It looks good from the get-go here, from a perspective of what they've done early on. And so we're, we're, we have high hopes that that will continue but uh, some good teams are coming up in the next week or so. Okay, and Ken Palm says that you're a slight underdog in both the Wisconsin and Kansas State games. So hopefully your Providence Friars can win one or both of those games. What did you think of our great coverage on the show of the James Madison Dukes? Well, I thought it was great that you got the, the assistant coach on there. I mean, he he was fabulous from a perspective of their access to their, their program. Clearly, they are on the rise. And we, we had spoke about this for some time, you and I, over the course of the last year or so. And the fact that they are beating Michigan State, obviously, puts them in, in, you know, in a different class. Kent State, as you say, a tough game. Howard, they, they kind of dominated. But I think for the most part, what's very interesting about them is – it's a school that has moved itself up from what you and I called one double A or FCS in football, and then now to a bigger platform in basketball as well. Um, so they are definitely on the rise. A school that is, I guess you'd say, putting a lot behind their sports. A beautiful school uh, aesthetically, so it should not have any problem attracting uh, talent. And so I think that's being seen not only in football but in basketball, as you spoke about earlier today. I agree. And having been on that campus and have friends whose kids went to that university, they have a lot of school spirit. That is a school where the alumni is proud of where they went. They'll go back to games, but that may be basketball too, but they went back for the football games. The students go to the games. It's a great place. I like how the fact is that they put together the basketball team from a perspective of kind of a collective of some older more experienced guys and the fact is that you know they've mixed in some of their newer players and I think that's probably what we're going to see going forward with particularly with let's call them mid-majors or mid-major conferences they're going to have to be creative on what they want so you're going to get grad students some transfers in the middle of their career and then also add a freshman or two to keep the you know, the age wave on a consistent basis. But I, I like what they've done uh, on basketball, and I and I, we're hearing them loud and clear with their undefeated record in, in football now at 10-0 and 0 as well. And how fun that one of the key players for the James Madison Dukes played for Tommy Freyer, our high school friend uh, who's been a guest on the show, coaches Mount St. Michael. He's one of his favorite players. Michael Green is on that James Madison team, which gives me a reason to root for them. Exactly. 
And I believe if I'm if I'm correct, he's taking advantage of the COVID year here. So this is his third school. And so he's taking full advantage of his time in college. And I think that's great from a perspective of what he's done and obviously graduated. And then this is his post-grad year. The coach spoke um, very, very highly of him. And so I think that experience and leadership plays well, in particular for the mid-majors to kind of stabilize them as they get against teams like Michigan State. There's no panic. I agree. All right. So our other excellent guest for this show was Eric Haslam of Haslametrics. He's one of these top analytic sites. Everybody knows Ken Palm, but there's others. We like Haslametrics because they're a friend of the show. He really gave us uh, an interesting perspective on what it's like to put together a website based on analytics that's free to people to analyze college basketball. His is so cool because you can literally uh, click on the letter P on a team and see a preview of their next game, which is really cool that he has that all set up in the database. It just automatically happens when you press the P. Eric does a really great job and I enjoy chatting with him. It was very interesting listening to him as all of these sites look at analytics in a different way from a perspective of, remember, obviously it's all about the data and then what you do to the data after the fact. He talks about a lot about momentum, which I guess is un, un, unlike other sites. He spoke about the fingerprint situation with, with regards to the intangibles, pace, schedule, record quality. Those are very interesting. The only thing that concerns me a little bit about the analytics and particularly with college basketball is the fact is we have so much transition in the rosters. I mean, let's just take our local favorite here, Iona College. I mean, they basically have a new team except one player, and one player isn't even playing right now. So he's taking numbers, or the site is taking numbers from the past and then putting forward as as they are. So that the early predictions have to be somewhat kind of manipulated and massaged versus what we're going to get by January, February. So I, that's the only thing that concerns me. Not concerns me, I shouldn't say that, but one that you can take it and and really take it with a grain of salt until we get into the, the meat of kind of the conference schedule situation. But you brought up a good point, and the last thing I'll say is I like the point when you got into the expected outcomes. I think that's a very good part of his site. I agree. And by the way, I've seen Ken Palm on interviews say exactly what you just said. My site's not so great in November, but it gets much better in January, February. We have two months of data from all the games that were played, and Eric agrees with that as well. So listen, analytics, college basketball websites are just projections of what will probably happen in the game. But like everything else in being a fan, no one knows what's going to happen in the game. That's just a logical practical, analytical analysis of what they think may happen in a game. That's even true in January and February. Exactly. How, how do you measure analytically the pressure of the game? Home versus away, travel distance, who's in the stands, uh, what your last game was from a perspective. Have you lost two in a row so you're desperate? Your team is desperate for a win here. So that, that effort is, is that much heightened. I think those are very th- hard things to quantify, and particularly with, uh, with young men in the college age. I agree. And just lastly, Ken, let me just say that one thing I've read now a couple of times is, do you know who loves the analytical websites? Las Vegas. <laughs> Bookies use all of those analytical sites, Ken Palm, Haslametrics, any others, to help them set the betting line, which tells you there's a lot of legitimacy there. Absolutely. From a perspective, I, I would assume they've probably got an, a formula of themselves where they take all the analytics that they can garner for college basketball, take them and put them into another analytical program that spits out you know, the betting line itself for that point in time. Um, and, and it seems like Las Vegas doesn't end up on the short end of the money side for any time soon. The reason I don't bet Kenny from Rye is the house always wins. All right. Before we say goodbye to Kenny from Rye, let me remind everybody that this show, College Hoops Chat, is released 
Every Monday night, we have a website, collegehoopschat.com. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just put College Hoops Chat in the search bar. We have a great time doing the show. We appreciate all the listeners. Kenny from Rye, thanks so much for helping me with the show. And we'll be back next Monday for a whole nother show. Thanks so much.